Let me have you turn to John chapter 12. Brad will be preaching out of verses 44 through 50 this morning. It reads, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts, our minds to receive your word, we pray that you would guide Brad um, so that your word would be made clear and uh, give us grace to receive it and to live it out for your glory, to know our joy in you. And would, would, would you glorify yourself as your word is made clear? We pray for those who have walked with Jesus for a long time, that you would strengthen their hands. And those who are, uh, they need to see him, would you open their eyes for their, joy, for, the, for their joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a lot of things um, in life that are important. Um, us being here is important. Look around, you have probably family and friends. That's very, very important. Um, if you're still in the workforce, you have a job and that's important. And if you're in, still in school, you need to do well in school and uh, give it your best, kids. Um, that's important. There's a lot of things in life that are, that are important, but there's not a lot of things that are essential. A lot of things are important, but not a lot of things that are absolutely essential. Essential in an eternal sense. Um, there's a very consistent theme in the New Testament, and it is nowhere more consistent of a theme than in the Gospel of John, over and over again. And that theme is believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. We see it repeatedly in, in the Gospel of John from beginning to end, this call that all this is written so that you believe. In fact, it kind of comes to a crescendo in John chapter 20, verse 31, where Jesus says these things are written so that you might believe, and by believing, you might have life in His name. I'm giving you all this for a reason, and the reason is so that you will believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in who He is. Believe in what He's done. Trust your life to Him. Believe in Jesus. There's not a lot of things that are important I mean, there are a lot of things that are important, but there's not a lot of things that are essential. But if we're going to get it right in this life, then it's going to be by believing in Jesus. And listen, you do everything else that's important, and you get that right, and you don't believe in Jesus, you've done nothing. You've missed everything. You've completely missed the boat in the point of this life. Maybe things that are important, but there's not a lot of things that are essential. But what is essential 
And what we have to get right is that our life is only found in Jesus Christ. And we come to Him by faith, by believing in Him. If you're going to get it right in this life, it's going to be by believing in Jesus. You say, yes, I know, Brad, I get that. I've already done that. What now? Been there, done that. Now what do I do? You believe in Jesus is what you do. Yeah, sure, that's step one, but I'm looking for step 45 now. You know, I've been at this for a while. So what do I do? You believe in Jesus. That's what you do. Spiritual maturity is not like, oh, come to the cross, come to the gospel, meet Jesus, and then move on to what's next. Spiritual maturity is about living at the cross and living in that faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus. Faith is just as much the greatest need for the seasoned saint as it is for your young children. Faith. It's the essential thing. Believing in Jesus. It's a goal of all preaching. One of the, I think, more important things that I learned in the cemetery was that the goal of all faith, or the goal of all preaching is faith. The goal of all preaching is, is, is faith. You're preaching for faith. To get people to believe God more, to trust God more, to place their faith more completely in Jesus, to understand what He says about my family and to trust Him in it and to follow Him in it. What He says in all these different aspects of life, it's faith. And no, that doesn't just mean every message is evangelism. It's about trusting Jesus for who He is and what He says. It's faith. The essential thing is faith. That's the essential thing. Let's talk about this, jumping into the passage here, a little bit about the context and, and setting us up where, where we're at. Um, there is a question about when these words were spoken. You say it's obvious. It's right after last week's message, right? It's right after the message Stacy preached last week. Well, not necessarily. If you notice, Stacy's message last week was was kind of all the narrator basically saying, let me tell you what's going on. They're not believing, let me tell you why. So it's a little bit of, a little bit of, of context there as to why they weren't believing in Jesus. And that was last week. And you say, well, then it actually fell right after what happened the week before. No, not necessarily either. Um, Last week was a commentary why they didn't believe it started with Jesus withdrawing. And that's kind of where it left. Jesus was with the crowds. He was teaching. And then he withdrew. Then we have some commentary. And then we have him crying out here in this passage and speaking. So we really don't know the exact setting that these words were spoken in. Uh, we, we really aren't sure. It's probably a kind of a summary of Jesus' teachings on belief that he had spoken of and taught on previously. But we, there's no specific audience that we know of, and there's no specific occasion that we are given in terms of when this little section was given. Why? Why is that the case? Well, now, let me go ahead and tell you what's happening next. Jesus is going to be with his disciples. For the next few chapters, he's going to be with his disciples, teaching them, and then he's going to go to the cross, and then he's going to be raised from the dead. This is kind of the last of that public 
ministry. And it's somewhat of a summary of what he's been teaching. But why are we not given a specific audience? Why is there no specific occasion? We don't fully know, but it's probably because these words are not meant to be bound to any time, place, or people individually. This is a final summary of the public teaching of Jesus. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, placed it here in the text. Now, as we start off, we look at verse 44 there. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, And Jesus cried out and said, Again, there's, there's, we don't know the context. We don't know who He's crying out to. We assume it's the crowds here. But Jesus cried out and said, Jesus is passionate about His point here, okay? He cried out. That word means to shout. Okay, Jesus cried out. He shouted out. And He said, and we're going to follow with what, what it is, but these words are spoken with passion and, and intensity. Jesus is making a point that's got to be heard. And you say, well, what's the point? Belief is the point. Believe is the point. And it does matter who you're believing in. If we see anything in these verses, it's that you have to believe in Jesus. And by the way, it does matter that you know who you're believing in, who He is. There's some clarity that's given in this passage. Believe in Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture. And John tells us a lot about who He actually is. The following verses are helping us to get that right, to get the essential thing right, to believe in Jesus, the Jesus of the, of the Scriptures. So, getting the essential thing right, um, what does that look like? How can we do it? Let's read the rest of verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in, or at least not just in me, but in him who sent me. Number one is that there can be no distinction between belief in Jesus and belief in the Father. There can be no distinction between belief in Jesus and belief in the Father. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in Him who sent me. We've already seen this repeatedly in the Gospel of John. It's a, again, there's, all this is are repeated themes that we've seen over and over. Chapter 5, verse 24, Whoever hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. Believe my words and believe Him who sent me and you have eternal life. And in 8.19, Jesus says, If you knew me, then you would know my Father also. You don't know one without the other. You don't trust one without the other. If you knew me, you'd know my Father also. And in 10.38, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. And then 14.6 that we will get to here in a few weeks says, No one comes to the Father but by me. I am that access to the Father. Belief in there is no there is no access to the Father apart from the Son. There is no, well, I believe in God, but I just don't know what to do with Jesus. No, you don't. If you're going to get the essential thing right, you are going to believe in God through Jesus. There is no other way. There. There's no other possibility. If if you believe in Jesus, you're believing in the Father. And the other side of that is. You cannot believe in the Father unless you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're believing in the Father, but you cannot believe in the Father unless you 
believe in Jesus. The two cannot be separated. Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. Christianity, as I'm sure you've heard it said, is an exclusive religion. We do preach and teach and believe that Jesus is the only way. There's not, he's not plan A, but then there's plan B, C, and on down the line out there. There is no other way to God but through Christ, through the Son. Jesus is the only way. Number two, God the Father and God the Son are distinct yet one. Again, realize the call is to believe, but also to know who it is you're believing in. And we have God the Father and God the Son. They're distinct yet one. In verse 45, it says, And whoever sees Me, sees Him who sent Me. If you see Me, you see the Father. If you see Me, you see the One who sent Me. And that One is the Father. Again, this is another common theme in John. We'll see it again clearly in chapter 14. Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father, Jesus will say in 14.9. Right back at the very beginning, I think a very important clarifying verse, a very loaded verse, you have to kind of stop back and say, okay, what does he say in there? When you see it, it's a beautiful thing. 118, Jesus is speaking, he says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It's not actually Jesus speaking there, but that's, it's about Jesus. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. You want to see God, look at Jesus. You've never seen the Father, but you want to see the Father. You don't know what the Father is and like. Look at Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him, made Him known. We see God through Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. The question then becomes, if Jesus is the same as the Father, then when you see Jesus, are you really just seeing the Father? Yes and no. Okay? (laughs) Yes and no. Or no, but yes. It's yes. The correct understanding is this. The Father and the Son are distinct, yet one. The Father and the Son are distinct, yet they are one. What are we talking about here? Well, we can get kind of technical. It's been, this is, uh, trying to get you, our minds around this has been a, a wrestling point for the church throughout, throughout history. And Council of Nicaea in 325 adopted the term homoousios. <laughs> what does that mean? It just means of the same essence or the same being. Father and Son are the, of the same essence, the, the, the same being. It's been considered the orthodox and biblical understanding uh, bef- uh, before and since that time. So the Father and the Son are one. They're the, of the same essence. There's only one God. There's not multiple gods. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God. But we also know in Scripture that one God is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an incredible picture. So when you see Jesus, are you really just seeing the Father? And no, you're not. But yes, you are, in a sense. And yet you say, I don't get that. Well, okay, join the club. It's hard. 
It's wrong to talk of the Father and Son if they're, as if they're two different gods, because they're not. Jesus and the Father are one God. It's also wrong to talk of the Father and the Son as if they're just different incarnations at different times of the same God. There's a heresy called modalism. And modalism says, well, it was God the Father, and then He stepped into the role and became God the Son and accomplished that work, and then He steps into the role and becomes God the Spirit and accomplishes that work. It's called modalism. He takes different modes at different times. That is not what we see in Scripture. That is a heresy. In Scripture, there are repeated interactions between the persons of the Trinity. Jesus is praying to the Father. At the baptism of Jesus, you have, you have Jesus being baptized. You have the Father crying out in a loud voice from heaven that this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased and the Spirit ascending on Christ lies a dove. It's not this modalism of different gods at different or different iterations at different points. He is, is and has always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 17, when we get to the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we're going to see Jesus praying to the Father and praying for Him to... Verse 5, Father, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. I already had that glory with you. It didn't just become... Jesus on the scene later on when you decided to take that form. Restore to me the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. And so it will always be. It always has been and always will be that you say, yes, I just can't get my head around that. One God, three persons, but only one God. You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interacting with each other as three distinct persons, but they're only one God. I, I, I can't get it. Yes, you can't. Here's, here's the point I want to make. If we could fully understand this truth, it would only diminish it. If we could fully understand this truth, it would only diminish it. Listen. We are very limited, very, very limited, finite creatures. And we're talking about who God is. The infinite, unlimited, glorious God that we can't even begin to get our minds around. I'm perfectly okay with saying, yes, that's true, and I can't get my mind around it. I, can't, I, should, I don't think I should expect to be able to understand everything about the, who God is. The person of God. I'm, I'm always learning and it blows our mind and that's a good thing because that leads us just to worship Him for His goodness and His glory. Number three, Jesus came as light to lead us out of darkness. He came as light to lead us out of darkness. 46, I have come into the world so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. I've come as light so that Whoever believes in me is not going to remain in the darkness, but can come to the light. Does anybody like being in the dark? I mean, like really in the dark? We were, a couple of years ago, um, our family went to the Lewis and Clark Caverns. Um, it's really cool. I don't know if you've ever been there. You crawl around and slide and hit your head and do all that stuff. on all. But you go way down in the earth, right? I mean, you're way down in that mountain. And at one point, we got in there, 
And, you know, it's all, they got lights in there now, so um, you know where you're going, you can see it's all beautiful. We get way down in there at one point, and they say, okay, you know, brace yourself here. And they turn off all the lights. And when they turn off all the lights, it's not just, it doesn't just get, get dark. I mean, it gets totally dark. There is absolutely no light in there. And they're like, okay, wave your hand in front of your face. Can you see your hand? And you're like, I can't, no, it, it's not there. You know, you can't see anything. It's absolute, total darkness. Now, if they left us like that and told us to find our way out, you're going to die in there. There's no way. Just not going to happen. Because you, you see nothing. You, 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 have, you have no hope of getting out of there. And if you go the wrong way, you're going to literally fall off a cliff or you're going to die in there. Something's going to happen. But you can't do it because you're in darkness and you can't see at all. What's the problem with walking around in the darkness? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You figure that at home when you get up at night and try to go to the bathroom or something. You, <laughs> all the lights are off and you run into something, snub your toe. It's dangerous. You have no orientation. You will be lost because you have no orientation and there's hazards everywhere. Darkness is not something I think we, we enjoy. True darkness is life without Jesus. He, Jesus uses that analogy over and over again. Darkness, you walk in darkness, but I am the light and I have come to bring the light to you because you are in darkness. True darkness is not about you know, the lights being turned off. It's about no hope. It's about no life. It's wandering around without purpose or direction or any hope. In, in J- chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I am, the world, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Darkness in Scripture refers to being separated from God and cut off from God. Not having any hope and being under the judgment of God. By the way, that, we're talking about believing in Jesus. We're talking about the need to believe in Jesus. You are in darkness. You are cut off. You are separated from God. There is no hope for you on your own. There is only peril. There is only disaster. You're without hope and you're under the judgment of God. We need to understand that. I don't know that we talk about that enough in our culture today because we're in modern American Christianity and it's just focus on the positive. Just focus on the positive. Well, you can't really understand the positive unless you understand why it is that Jesus had to die and what it is He's saving us from. He's saving us from the judgment and the wrath of God, which we rightfully deserve because we are absolute rebels in our sin. You, don't have, to, you have to teach your kids a lot of things. You don't have to teach them how to sin. We're, we're born knowing how to sin. And we're good at it. And we do it often. And we can know, yeah, God says that, but I want this. I'm going to do my way. <laughs> You're the God of the universe. I'm the God of me. Let me just tell you what I'm going to do. We just re- we're rebels. We rebel against God. We're under the judgment of God. 
we're in darkness and there's no hope for us except for the light. And Jesus says, listen, I've come into the world as the light of the world. I am your hope. The New Testament talks about us being lost. We're lost in the darkness. So how do you go from a place of judgment to have the light of life? How do you go there? Jesus makes it clear. He says, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. How do I go from darkness to life? How do I go from no hope and judgment to hope? Whoever believes in me may not remain. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He came as light. Believe in Him. What is the essential thing? Believe in Jesus. That's the essential thing. Who He is and what He has come to do. Number four, we are judged by God through the means of His Word. Judged by God through the means of His Word. Look at verses 47 and 48. If anyone hears My words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come into the world, uh, I did not come uh, to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects Me does not receive My words as uh, the one who and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What is Jesus saying here? If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, he says, you're under judgment. You're under judgment. You hear my words and don't keep them. Failure to obey the teaching the teaching of Jesus is a fundamental characteristic of unbelief. I don't believe, so I don't obey. What's the implication here? If you believe, then you obey. And you say, well, hold on now. If you believe, then you obey. We're talking about the big picture here, right? We're not talking about individually. You struggle with sin. You don't always obey. The most Billy Graham can be right here, and he struggles with sin, okay? Nobody does this perfectly. The Apostle Paul talked about his wrestling with sin. But if you believe, then you obey. We're talking big picture here. Your life has a bent towards following Jesus, towards wanting to please Him. Because that's what He's done in you. If you do not believe, then you do not obey. 1 John 2.4 says, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. That's a tough verse right there. Wrestle with that one a little bit. Whoever says, I know Jesus but does not keep His commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2.4 By the way, that theme is repeated over and over in 1 John. What do they say in there? You can't just... Being a Christian is not just saying, I'm a Christian. It's being changed by Jesus. It's coming, putting my faith and trust in Him and the miraculous of work, work of Christ taking place. John chapter 3 Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remains on him. It's already there and it stays. You cannot separate obedience from faith. James says faith without works is dead. James 2.17. Ephesians 2.10 is this beautiful picture of the Gospel that says we're not saved by our works. By 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God and not a result of works. You're not saved by your works. The very next verse, for we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are not saved by your works, 
but you're the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus. He's working in you, and it's going to produce good works. Obedience. Not righteousness by works, but works because of righteousness, because of who we are in Christ. If you are saved and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then there is going to be a difference in your life. And if there's no difference in your life, we need to step back and examine ourselves as the Apostle Paul says to do. We need to do that. Salvation, I think, is an important point because I think one of the, you know, kind of the revivalistic trend of, of American Christianity, we've, we've kind of made it where if, if somebody can really work you up emotionally in the right point and get you to repeat a prayer, then you're good. And it has not necessarily anything to do with you coming and realizing who you are before Christ. Sinner in need of judgment and saying, Jesus, I am trusting you for the work that you did on that cross and I'm placing my faith completely and totally in you. And guess what happens? Salvation is not just a decision I make sometimes. It is a miracle. It is a miraculous work of God where He takes you from death to life. He takes you from darkness to life. He takes a heart of stone and He replaces it with a heart of flesh. And He puts His Spirit inside of you. That makes a difference. You're not the same person anymore. You're different. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Um, There will be judgment. There will be judgment. But it will be based upon obedience to the words of Jesus, which told men to believe. It's interesting what Jesus says in the text. He says, you know, if anyone hears these words and, and does not keep them, I don't judge him. Why did Jesus say he doesn't judge him? Why does Jesus say he's not judging us? Because we see and believe that Jesus is the judge. What is he, what is he saying here? Many today want to stop right there and they don't want to read any further. No, further. no judgment in Christ. Christ doesn't judge us. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus didn't come in the incarnation there when He took on flesh. He didn't come to judge but to save. He came to die to bring salvation. There will be judgment. Jesus makes it clear. There will be judgment but it will be based upon obedience to the words of Jesus which told men to believe. To believe. He says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words. You can't separate those two concepts. I, 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 don't, I can't say, well, I, I, I want Jesus, but I don't want anything He talked about. I don't really care who He is. I, you know, I, just want to, I don't want to go to hell. You can't separate Jesus and His words there. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, don't separate those two concepts. There is no acceptance of Jesus without accepting His words. It says, the word that I have spoken will judge Him. It's already been pronounced. It's already been said. It's already been laid out. It's already been given. Jesus doesn't have to pronounce judgment on the lost. Their lack of faith has already pronounced that judgment on them. You already have the Word. It's already clear. 
Kind of reminds me of over the years what I've told my kids when they get disciplined. That, you know, never happens, right? Um, oh, it did. <laughs> not as much anymore. It's not that I'm just deciding to punish them. Oh, I, wanna, I want to discipline you. I want to punish you. It's not that I'm just deciding to do that. You knew the rules. You knew what the standard was. You knew what was right and what was wrong. And you chose what was wrong. You're stepping into your own judgment there. Because you knew the word and you did not keep it. You did not follow it. The words will, will judge him. Listen, Jesus doesn't have to pronounce judgment upon the lost. Their lack of faith has already pronounced that judgment. We see that in chapter 3, verse 18, right after John 3:16, that we all know and are very familiar with. But in verse 18, he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you trust in him, you're not condemned. But listen to this: but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you believe, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you're already condemned. Because you do not believe. Are you obeying the words of Christ? And the words of Christ are to come by faith. To trust Him to believe. It's essential. Number five, Jesus speaks from the Father and His words are the words of eternal life. From the Father and the words of eternal life. Verses 49 and 50. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is really reiterating the fact here that He's speaking from the Father. But what he's saying is eternal life. It is the means and the way for eternal life. I think of in, in John chapter 6, everybody's abandoning Jesus. Because some of Jesus' teaching is hard, by the way. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not saying, hey, come sign up for the easy life. He's very much saying, sign up for the hard life, but the one with meaning and purpose and eternal hope. Sign up for that. Come follow me. So it's, it, 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 it's not easy. And in John chapter 6, we kind of see that picture where they love Jesus because he's giving them bread. I mean, this is great. This is, this is, I mean, I got the grocery store coming to me and just distributing food to me for free. This is awesome. And Jesus starts speaking and the more he talks about what it means to follow him, the more they're gone. And then they're all gone except Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus looks at them and asks them, are you going to leave me too? And, he, and Peter says, where are we going to go or who are we going to turn to? You have the words to eternal life. We have nowhere else to go. We have nowhere else to turn. You're, you have the words to eternal life. He got the essential, the essential thing there. Again, Jesus is repeating a major theme. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of who, Him who sent me in John chapter 6. And in 
We also see it in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 again. Jesus repeats over and over, listen, don't separate these things. They like the idea of God, but they didn't want to accept Jesus. Jesus says, listen, I am from God doing the will of God. And he's really making that point because that was their hang-up, right? Their hang-up is Jesus. And he's saying, listen, you can't have God without me. I'm doing the will of God. I'm doing what he says to do. MacArthur says Jesus' words determine people's eternal destinies, not only because of who He is, but also because He speaks of, uh, for His Father. Therefore, no one can reject His words with impunity. Not just who He is, but He's speaking from the Father, so you can't reject Jesus' words with impunity. MacArthur says. When Jesus speaks... It is perfectly in line with the will of the Father always. Y'all have to always listen and check because I can get up here and I can say something and if I could be out of line. But when Jesus speaks, He's always speaking perfectly in line with the Father. Jesus is equal to the Father but also submissive to the Father. We see that picture here. Jesus has no problem saying, listen, He's, he's eternally God. God the Son. He is with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, perfectly equal, eternally God, yet He says, I have no problem putting myself under the authority of the Father. I think that's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Uh, notice that Jesus doesn't resent this. He cherishes it. He highlights it. I'm under the authority of the Father. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's a great thing. Jesus submitting to the will of the Father does not in any way lessen who Jesus is. But I think it is a really good lesson for us. And I don't really have time to go down this, but I mean, I, I do think the question, can you submit to biblical authority in your life? Jesus over and over says, I'm submitting to the will of the Father. No problem. It's a good thing. Can you submit to biblical authority? Or are you offended by it? We're called to, in the New Testament, to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. Romans 13. Now, I don't know about you, but i got enough of a libertarian in me that, oh, I don't want to, you know, you know. But we're called to do it. Can you submit to biblical authority in your life? Called in Ephesians to, to submit to our masters. How do you do at work? Guess what? They can fire you for insubordination, not submitting to authority. Can you submit to authority in your life? Wives are called to submit to their husband. No, not me. Not me. Children are called to submit to the parents. We're also called to submit to spiritual leaders. Jesus shows us, listen, that's just part of God's plan. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Something to accept and to cherish. We should learn from Jesus that none of this is a knock on dignity. Maybe a knock on your pride, but that's only because we have a messed up, me-centered view of everything. You say, I'm not submitting to anybody. Well, then you can't be like Jesus. You're just not. It's just not going to happen. The placement of these two verses is actually pretty important for us. It reminds me that we don't, it reminds us that we don't come to Christ on our own terms. We don't. We come to Christ in surrender. We come to Christ in submission. We come to the Christ saying 
with the point. When we come to believe, we come realizing I am not the point. I'm a wreck. I've messed it all up. I am submitting myself to you. We talk about surrendering your life to Jesus. What is belief? What is faith? What is belief? We know clearly belief is not just saying, yeah, I believe that's true, right? You believe in God, the demons believe, and they tremble, James tells us. We're talking about believe. We're talking about faith. We're talking about trust. We're saying, listen, I am resting my life in you. I'm surrendering it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm, I'm yours, Jesus. Do with me as you please. I'm trusting my life completely to who you are. And we saw a lot in here about who Jesus is. And what you've done, you've come to bring light. You've come to take me out of the darkness because of what you did on the cross. I'm trusting my life to you. The essential question is this, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? The only way to be delivered from darkness to light is by faith in Jesus Christ based on His Word which comes from the Father. And so here's the deal, guys. We, I hope you understand that we don't, we don't, you know, we don't have a, we don't do this formal invitation thing where you can walk down the aisle and grab the preacher by the hand. But the invitation is always open. Please understand that. Every time we preach, the invitation is open. Every time you hear the gospel, the invitation, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do want to say for myself and for Stacy and for life group leaders and for everybody else, listen, if you're struggling with that and you're not sure exactly what that means or the implications or there's a little something you want to talk about, please grab one of us because we are always available for that. We would love to talk to you about that. We would love to spend some time digging into the Word, breaking that down for you more and praying with you. Because the call is open. You don't have to... It's not, come repeat a prayer and boom, it's it. No, it's believe in Jesus. Come to Him in faith. Call upon Him to save you. And He will. Do you believe That invitation is open. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done. I thank you, Lord, that you came as light into the darkness. You came right in the middle of of our sin-wrecked world, and you bore the full brunt of it, not just from the world, but you bore that judgment from the Father on the cross. And you defeated it and you overcame it, Lord. And you rose from the grave. And Lord, you ever lived to make intercession for us and to give us hope and life in you. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And it only means more because of who you are. You're God the Son. You gave your life for us when we didn't deserve it. You took our sin and our filth and our guilt and our judgment and you gave us your righteousness, Lord. And God, I pray for everybody in this room, Lord, the young, the older, it doesn't really matter. God, I just pray that they will believe and trust in you. God, we pray for miracles to take place because, Lord, that's what it is when your spirit comes and we hear the gospel, Lord, and and you open our eyes to that truth. God, I pray for that to happen with those in this room. Help us to believe in you, in Jesus' name, amen.